Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy. Actually, listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by johnnytshirt.com, the Game Plan Podcast. Gentlemen, I cannot believe we're doing a Game Plan Podcast in late December. It has been a while, it seems, for North Carolina. Of course, not in a bowl game since 2016, I guess it was. Greg, uh, covering football in December, that's a little different for you of late, right? It is. And not only is it the first time North Carolina has played a game in late December since 2016. North Carolina has not won a game in December since 2013. Uh, so this is uh, this is a, a big opportunity for North Carolina to kind of uh, clear the plate a little bit. And it's interesting, North Carolina, with there being so many bowls these days, as long as you're halfway decent and you get to six and six, you're going to a bowl game. And that's been the case for, for a number of years now. And so I think a lot of players, when, when they arrive on campus and they're able to go to a bowl game their first year, like Aaron Crawford, Nick Polino, and Miles Dorn and those guys, you kind of assume, like, this is cool, uh, but you know, we're going to be back, so you know, not that big of a deal. And I thought it was really neat that the Miles Dorn uh, kind of dove into that, saying, you know what, you know, the first year we went out to the Sun Bowl, a little bum that we had to leave and weren't able to spend time with our families at home for Christmas. You know, a little bit selfish, but it is what it was. and We didn't make too big of a deal about it. And then his sophomore and junior year, uh, they don't go. And they're sitting at home. And at that point in time, they're saying, man, I I just want to be with the guys right now. Like, I enjoy being home. But what I would give to to be with with the team and preparing for another game uh, to close out this year. And so I think for the seniors especially, uh, this is kind of a a good opportunity for for them to understand and appreciate uh, what this game represents. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a good way to celebrate the, the year, but it kind of allows them to leave the program on a, on a positive trajectory, regardless of how this game turns out. The fact that they were able to kind of battle through two really tough years in 2017, 2018, and get the, the team back on the right track uh, for the years to come, I think that means a lot to them. And I think that's one of the reasons that the younger players are really you know, working as hard as they are trying to make sure to send the seniors out with a victory. Jason, Greg mentioned a number of bowls, and I wanted to ask you a question sort of off of that. I mean, does is the fact that there's, what, 38 bowls now or something ridiculous, does that cheapen it any at all for the players? Now, obviously it's not guaranteed, but as Greg said, if you're decent, which is six and six is decent, you're going to a bowl game. Does it – do the players themselves care? about what bowl or, or things like that? Are they just happy to be there? I guess you could get bored with it if you're elite and you're not going to an elite bowl, but 
your thoughts on how these players may be taking it. I think it's a bonus for any of them, especially North Carolina players. Well, it, it's – I don't think you can paint with a completely broad brush because there's going to be different players that are going to have different responses to this. Uh, I think in a situation like North Carolina's in where they haven't gone to a bowl in the last two years – just going to a bowl is something that all of them are going to regard as this is a, this means that we've been successful. Like this is, this is, this is actually taken as a reward. Like, look, we got it. We got a chance to play. We got a chance to actually, you know, show that we had a successful year. Uh, So I think that this year you're going to get more of that from, from the roster. Now for some of the seniors and some of the older players, particularly if you're an NFL prospect, you're looking at this going, all right, my, how much, how much, how, how valuable is this for me as a player? Like versus the chance that I get injured in this game, you know, I've already given my, my team, the, uh, the, the stuff that was expected of me during the regular season. And now, you know, this is, this is extra, this is extra football. Do I really want to grind through another almost spring practice like environment or do I just want to kind of enjoy getting the opportunity to be at a bowl, play a little bit, but turn some things over to the young guys. Oftentimes with the, with the older guys, you're going to kind of get that, that kind of mentality. But when you get the the bowl gifts and other things like that, and some of the festivities that surround a bowl, it's, it's supposed to be fun and it, and it, and it is fun for most of these guys. And particularly, again, if, if this is a situation where you're regarding it as a, as a reward for, for a season that, that went about as well as you could have, could have hoped or expected, then yeah, you're usually, you're usually happy to be there. Uh, Beyond that. Yeah. It's you, you do have a kind of thing of, well, I'd like to be with my family too on Christmas maybe, but uh, you know, if you want that, then maybe win it, maybe, maybe go to a better bowl game. You know, there's some other things that you can, you can think about there, but I think most of these guys would certainly rather still be playing than, than not. And particularly, like I said, after coming off a a two year stretch where you're not doing it, there's a little bit more gratitude and, and uh, happiness that you actually are in the situation. Greg, in the article and in, in the press conferences earlier in the week, my, uh, Michael Carter talked about how he was just happy to be still with his team. He's used to be down in Florida. Um, so there's that. But l- let me ask you, Greg, as far as the practices, we've often said that those practices are the most important thing, uh, the most important reason the team needs to get to a bowl, and especially for one like Carolina. It appears that Mac Brown's taken the approach of getting those young guys more and more reps, and and to Jason's point, letting the the upperclassmen sort of rest a little bit. I mean, they know what they need to do. They need to be um, crisp for the game itself. But the young guys have been getting the majority of the reps in practice, haven't they? They have, and I think with the early signing period, um, I imagine it has changed how coaches approach ball practices across the, the country. The fact that the Mac is uh, back you know, for the first time in five years, um, it's a little bit different from him. But as soon as the NC State game was over, pretty much everybody dispersed because you had exams coming up. Uh, and so they didn't get their first practice in until, uh, 
I guess, what, a week, two weeks ago? They, they're going to have end up having 10 practices for the bowl game uh, out of you know, potential up to, up to 15 or so. But they didn't have any during exam week. And so really what the plan was is because they go up to D.C. last weekend, uh, you had half your practices in Chapel Hill, half of them up in D.C. And the first five practices in Chapel Hill were incredibly physical. And that speaks to the fact that the main guys getting the reps were the backups, the twos and the threes, uh, to build for uh, next year. And as Mac put it, it's really like a, uh, an early spring practice. And that's how they were approaching it. And I, what I thought was, was fascinating was you had signing day last Wednesday, and you've got 12 guys from that class that are going to be coming in in January. And what Mac Brown did is as soon as everybody signed on Wednesday – he had his guys cut up film, and on Thursday morning, he brought the team in, and especially for all the young guys, and said, look, we're going to watch film of these 12 guys coming in the spring because this will be your competition. You've had opportunities. You're having an opportunity now. And so this is who you're going to have to go against in spring if you want a chance to play next year. So take advantage of this opportunity right now, this week, before these guys ever step foot on campus. And I think that's a great motivator. Uh, and then what happens is, you know, once North Carolina departed Chapel Hill and, and went up to, to D.C., at that point it became all about Temple. And you really get back into your standard game week, and that's when you really work the, the starters back in. Uh, it's not that they didn't practice last week. It's just that they were not taking the bulk of the reps. That was really a building opportunity for the young guys. And now uh, you know, they're back in that, that full mode of, of, of really preparing for – for game day against Temple. So, Jason, this is game week. How much preparation for Temple goes into getting ready for a bowl? I mean, how much is it dialed in specifically to Temple, or is it um, a situation where Carolina wants to do what they're going to do? I mean, is it basically, as Greg said, just like a regular week during the season at this point? Yeah, for game week, yeah. Once you're up there, once you've actually gone to the bowl site – and you are in that final week beforehand, as coaches, you want that week to basically mimic a normal game week. Now, you may, you're may you still going to rep some young guys more than you would during the season because those guys are that, – that's the future. You, you want those guys to be getting more prepared for next year because as much as – nobody wants to hear this, but this game – does not matter as much as a regular season game. And they know that. But at the same point, you're not trying to tell your players that. And you're certain and it does matter a tremendous amount in terms of getting your your young guys some experience for next year and all that. So you're going to play more of those young you're going to play more youth. You're going to play more bodies in this game than than you have all year. Uh and aside from that though, it's 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 a regular game week. Up until now it's what and and Ross Martin has a really good article up on Inside Carolina. If 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 you haven't listened to, or if you haven't gone and read that, and you're listening to this, you should read that. It's an it's an excellent piece with lots of quotes and and some discussion from Mac Brown and players about the difference when they were in Chapel Hill. It's what again and and Greg, you said this. It's what Mac Brown called a pre spring practice. Then you go up to then you go up to the site and you go into game week. So that's that's really the difference. It's two sets of of practice and those physical pre-spring practices 
that's where you get a lot better as a team because you're focusing on fundamentals. You're giving those young guys their reps and that gives you a head start on some of the stuff that you're wanting to install and emphasize in a few months. And, and it's a reminder and refresher. And in some cases you can actually build on some of the stuff you've done all year with an additional, with like a second level uh, drill or something like that to improve something that, that you just need to get better at fundamentally and all of that. That's what you can do in that week prior to game week. Let me take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt.com and Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Of course, I can imagine that a lot of people woke up with plenty of Johnny T-shirt gear under the Christmas tree and in stockings. And if you didn't, you need to get up to Franklin Street in the coming weeks and take advantage of all the winter gear they've got for all the sports, Carolina football, basketball, baseball, soccer, anything you need, Johnny T-shirt. And... Even if you miss the holiday sales, you can still get 10% off your everyday order with Johnny T-Shirt's promo code for Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. Great place to buy your Carolina gear. Great place to visit on Franklin Street if you're in town. You're in town for the Yale basketball game. Go see them. They'll be around. Uh, If they didn't sell out of everything over the holiday, they'll restock it, and they'll have plenty for you if you stop by there. And always, JohnnyT-Shirt.com has everything you need. Greg, um, you know, we've watched other players sort of sit out of these bowl games, and I'm not sure 100% how I feel about that. Um, how would you feel, and I'm just speculating on this, how is, is a guy that's covered this stuff for a long time, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical, how would you feel if uh, major players for a team like Carolina, given their status and stature right now, how would you feel if those guys – if somebody decided to sit out? Well, I'd feel different depending on the, the quality of the bowl game. As, as Jason said, uh, this type of game for North Carolina is not as important as the regular season games. Now, if you're playing for, if you're playing in a New Year's Six bowl game, and of course, if you're playing in the playoffs, it's going to be different. Uh, but I, I think the fact that you got to a bowl game is, is a celebration. That, that's, that's the high mark for the season. Uh, North Carolina is a little bit different. You know, you can talk about do they want to get a winning season in Mac's first year, and I know Mac and the staff want to make that happen. Um, but I, you know, I don't think this is as big of a game. And because of that, uh, you know, I, I think any player that makes a decision that it's better for his professional career to sit out, I'm okay with that. And I, I think most of his teammates, if not all of his teammates, would understand and, and would agree. Um, it's, it's a, a talking point and I understand that fans get upset about it. Uh, but your future is, is far more important. And the fact that, you know, if you're in a position where you've, you've, uh, delivered for the team and if you're in the running for a uh, draft spot or even as an undrafted free agent, that means that you really did well at the college level. That means that you really helped your team. Uh, and so I, I don't think you necessarily owe the program to play in that bowl game unless it's you know, kind of a big one where you can really uh, you know, make a, a statement on a big stage, whether it be the playoff or maybe even an you know, orange bowl, something like that. But for some of these lesser tier bowls, I don't think it's a, a big deal. And I, I don't believe that the players, the teammates would, wouldn't care much. And I certainly don't think that the coaching staff would worry too much about it. 
I'm going to add one more thing and jump in here as well, because I think there's one thing that the NCAA could do to make these games a little bit more interesting, knowing that this stuff is going to happen. And again, Greg is 100% right that players at this stage, if somebody like Strobridge wanted to take the game off, they'd be like, dude, you do you like go, go make some money. I mean, that's, that's the culture across the country in, in all this players want, want each other to make, to, to do well. They want each other you know, don't get hurt. You go, go get paid. That's, that's the understanding. So there's, that's just the way it is. Coaches, players, they all get that. What the NCAA could do, I think to make this a lot more interesting for bowl games is these are celebrations and all that. But the, the, the thing that could just up it a lot more is players that redshirted in the, during the year. So they were below the four game threshold. Bowl games don't count for that. So any redshirted player, should be allowed to play in the uh, in the bowl game. And so now when you've got guys sitting out and all that, maybe you've got a couple guys that can step in that nobody's seen all year, and then that gives an additional reason to watch that bowl game because you get to see the young guy for the first time, you know, maybe that's been sitting there just waiting, waiting his turn, and now all of a sudden you get to see like, oh, let's see what we got with these couple red shirts that might play a little bit. That to me would make make bowl season that much more interesting, and the NCAA really should do it. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I don't think bowls, I've never thought bowls should count for stats and records, except for a bowl record. And, uh, you know, we, we know that they do. And then um, I, I agree with you. I think younger guys ought to be able to play without penalty in a bowl game and, and you know, get that experience or whatever. It's just a win-win, which brings me to winning and winning. Greg, is this game important? We've talked about it on this podcast before in the course of the build-up to the bowl game, but how important is this for North Carolina to win this game against Temple? I don't think it's a matter of importance at all. Um, I, I think I understand that fans want to have a winning record, and I understand that probably looks good on the recruiting scene a little bit, um, but you know, Mac Brown has, has talked about it before, and I think everybody around the program kind of understands. This is not an opportunity for North Carolina to say, look, see, we're, we're getting better. We're, we're heading in the right direction. You know, if, if you didn't watch the team this year and see that through 12 games, I, I really don't know what to tell you. So I think most people, including the recruits, understand that this program is headed up. And when you look at the recruiting classes, you look at how successful North Carolina was this year, uh, even though they were six and six, they were competitive in, in all those games that they lost. And I think that's that's the key takeaway. This is a celebration for the seniors. Uh, the fact that North Carolina won five games the previous two years, we knew coming into the year, you know, a lot of that's due to injuries. And as long as they mitigated that some bit, uh, Mac would be able to, get this team back to a bowl game, which, which he did. And the, the future is bright for this program. So I don't, I don't think from that standpoint, you, you need to win this game. Uh, yes, seven and six looks a lot better than, than six and seven. Uh, but that's really for people who don't pay that close attention to the program and what transpired this year. Uh, and so I think regardless of how it plays out, uh, that's not going to damper the the expectations and the trajectory that, that Mac Brown has, has set this program, uh, the, the course that he set for, for this team. He, he's done a very good job this year, and I think they deserve a lot of credit 
and this, this game's outcome won't change that. Jason, you feel the same way about bowl games in mid to early December? Well, mid to late December. I mean, I think it's a little different for New Year's Six ones or all that, or, or is it? I mean, what are your thoughts? I, I agree. This is not a, uh, a Tommy Ashley special must-win uh, <laughs> category here. This is – it'd be nice to win, but if you're going to choose a game to lose over the next year, this is the one to lose. So uh, you, you always want to win every time you step between the lines. I mean, that's that's the truth of it. But in terms of value to the program, this is as low a value, low value a win as – or loss – as you're going to have anytime soon, just again. Okay. So if you win, you beat in an, an AAC team that you don't recruit against that everybody's just going to go, okay, well, I guess, Oh, wow. Look, UNC, UNC played then. Oh, that, that was aside from the teams that are fans of those two teams. And you know, the, those who are addicted enough to football that they have to watch anytime there's something on a lot of people just aren't watching these games. So it doesn't matter that much. And in terms of message to recruits and all that, this is not a program you play against. It doesn't matter for messaging. That, that's just the, the facts of it. So uh, what you do is, as a coach, you still want to win, but you're coaching for development in this game more than anything else. You're trying to make sure that, that you're doing certain things and you're playing certain players for next year more than you're doing anything else. And, and that's why I wouldn't be surprised to see very little uh, relatively speaking, we're going to see a lot less of Crawford and Strobridge and some of those guys that were stalwarts all year. You're going to see a lot of their backups in this game, partly because you don't want to get those guys hurt, and partly because what matters is you got to find out what you got for next year, and you got to give those guys some chances. So that's that's what this comes down to. Well, I say all that to say this. Let's take a short break. Come back. We'll talk about what Carolina has to do to beat Temple. We'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Greg, I'll come to you first. I mean, Temple's got a, a you know a decent record. They beat Georgia Tech. That sort of got ACC fans and maybe Carolina fans some eyeballs checking that one out, 24-2. But they also beat Memphis, which is a good win for the Owls. Greg, tell us a little bit about how Carolina goes about 
attacking Temple on offense with Sam Howe and all his weapons? Well, I think this is a, a good matchup uh, if we're just talking about the team in general for North Carolina um, because Temple's strength is his defense. And I, I think I, the reason I say that that's good is because North Carolina's weak side of the ball uh, really is on the defensive side. And so that gives them an opportunity not to have to go up against a, a high-powered offense. But Temple is really good defensively. And a lot of people will say, kind of to your point, Tommy, is that you look at this schedule and say, well, they beat East Carolina and South Florida and Tulane and you know, Connecticut. These are not necessarily good teams. Uh, and so that's why one reason I think using uh, Brian uh, Fremo, I believe is how you say his last name, his, his metrics are – uh, he really tries to uh, level the playing field in terms of quality of you know, opponent. And that, that allows you to look and see, okay, well, how would this team do against a Power 5 opponent? Or how would they do against a FCS opponent? And you get a pretty good gauge. Defensively, Temple ranks 30th in his, his ratings, which is the fifth highest of any of UNC's opponents this year. Uh, so just behind, uh, just behind Miami, for example. So there are a lot of good defenses. Uh, you know, up there with Temple. And I think Temple is, is great. An issue for North Carolina offensively, as we've talked about a lot, is the Tar Heels have really uh, struggled to protect Sam Howell at times. And some of that's on him as well. Uh, he's not getting rid of the ball as quickly as he should have. He's gotten better, I think, as the years go on, which is to be expected. Uh, but Temple has been fantastic uh, kind of getting after the, after the quarterback. They're averaging you know, three and a half sacks or close to three and a half sacks per game top 10 in the country uh, in terms of like pro football focus, I believe they're fourth in pass rush grade. And no, they don't, uh, they don't you know, level the playing field for, for level quality competition, uh, but that's still pretty impressive. And then of course they've got, you know, Quincy Roche, who is the AAC defensive player of the year. Uh, he's a guy that will, I think will play for a long time, probably at the next level. And so that's, that's going to be the, the key aspect for UNC is, uh, Making sure that you you have a balanced approach, uh, so you can offset that that pass rush. Temple has been exposed uh, at times uh, when when teams have been able to throw against them, and so that's that's what Phil Longo is really focused on. Is okay, you know, how do we need to address this pass rush? For a lot of the year, Temple was able to get good pressure with just the front four, um, and you you've got to use the ground game, obviously. But do you? We've had this conversation so many times. Do you really focus on establishing the run first? Uh, do you go ahead and start taking some shots and, and moving the ball uh, against that front four uh, through the air and really kind of throw them for a loop? And uh, that's that's kind of the question that I, that I think is fascinating. But if you can run the ball, that opens up your play action, which is where Sam Howell's had a lot of success, uh, and that really poses problems for that Temple defense down the field. But if Temple's able to get after Sam and – and you get some of those negative plays and, and maybe force a, a fumble or two, uh, that's how Temple can somehow win this game. Jason, when I listen to Greg talk about how good their defense is, and I understand how the, the analytics work or whatever, but I look at a defense that gives up 150-some yards rushing the game. They give up over 200 yards passing, but they do have 39 sacks. Uh, I mean, I just think Carolina can have some success as long as they're solid and not putting the ball on the ground. Against this, I think it's again, it's another day where Sam Howe can have another big game. Tell me why I'm right or why I'm wrong. Yeah, I look at this and I, I, I think you're you're right about that. I mean, 
all you have to do is look at there's a three grain three game stretch where you look at what they at the offenses that they played and played and I'm telling you right now these are the teams that that Mac Brown and Phil Longo and that offensive staff they're going to be spending their time breaking down these three games looking at what those teams did against Temple's defense partly because of similarities schematically with what Carolina wants to do and partly because those teams had success against Temple and that's Memphis, Southern Miss, or I'm sorry, Southern Methodist, SMU, and UCF. Those three games, they beat Memphis 30 to 28. But the reason they beat Memphis, by the way, is because Memphis turned it over. So if you look at if you look at that, they were plus two in turnover margin and, and they won that game by two points. Memphis had almost seven yards per play in that game. And then you go to the SMU game, SMU scored 45 on them. And then UCF the following week, building off of what the prior two teams had done, dropped 63 on them. Just big play after big play, four t- four touchdowns in the passing game, almost f- what 400 yards passing. And they showed they showed some weakness in some against some verticals and against some stuff that that Carolina likes to do in the passing game, if you can protect. And that basically is is what it's going to come down to for North Carolina in this is if they don't turn the ball over. And Howell doesn't get, you know, hang on to the ball too long and get sacked, then you've got, you're going to have some opportunities in the secondary to put up some numbers just based on what they did against the, the really good pass teams that they played this year. And they didn't play a bunch of good passing teams, but when they did, those teams did find some space. And I think that's where North Carolina can, can have an edge in this game. Temple's going to have to be aware of that. And once you've established some of those verticals, then you can come in and use that running game to have some balance. I think Carolina could put up some points in this game and should put up some points in this game, even though that is a pretty good Temple defense overall. I just think matchup-wise, they should be able to throw it. Yeah, and if you look at the all of the games that they've played, I find it fascinating that and a lot of it's because of who they played. Uh, but you look at yards per attempt allowed, four and a half, four point six, four point one, five point zero, five point nine, five point nine, four point three, two point five against Cincinnati, which is amazing. Cincy's terrible passing football. <laughs> and then six point nine against Connecticut, but that was a blowout. And you say that's solid, and it is solid. But to Jason's point, when you look at that three-game stretch, they gave up. 12 touchdowns against two interceptions, and they allowed, in terms of passing yards per attempt, 8.3 to Memphis, 8.5 to SMU, and 10 to UCF. Uh, 363, 457, and then 229 in terms of total total passing yards. Uh, And I think given how strong this passing attack is that Phil Long is running with Sam Howell at at the lead there, that's kind of what you have to be looking at if you're a Temple defensive coach or you're Rod Carey and you're saying, all right, well, how's every bit as good as these other guys throwing? How do we make sure that we limit those big plays down the field? Uh, and I think that's, that is the challenge because it's not like Memphis or SMU, you were, were completing a ton of passes necessarily in terms of you know, the, the yardage. It's just that they were executing with, with big plays every time. Uh, or most of the time. And so that's that's what you have to avoid because Sam Howell's done a great job with that. UNC's 
I believe, top 15 in the country uh, and, and explosive plays of, of 30 yards or more. And so that's that's the, the concern. And so that that's the thing. How do you do that, uh, Jason? Is it a matter of do you have to establish a run so you set up play action and take those deep shots? Or do you go ahead and just get right to it and you're good enough, you think you're good enough, that it doesn't matter what you do, you just you play your game? So I think the, the the main thing you do as a coordinator here is you have to – it's sort of like a box, boxing match where you come in and you know what the what the guy you're boxing against has been susceptible to in the past, but you don't know whether like over the six or eight-month preparation for this match, whether that's been the one thing that that, that, that guy has been working on on not giving up on really improving. And so the first thing you have to do is you throw a couple jabs in there and you kind of feel out the, the, the defensive strategy that you have in, in the bowl game. Uh, and you'll see this across bowl games in, across the country is you're going to see those first couple drives. A lot of times you're going to see, it's going to look like a couple teams kind of feeling each other out in the first round of a boxing match. Now, if you feel like you've got something, like you notice something that maybe hasn't been exposed yet, then you go right for that. But otherwise, if it's been something that's been exposed a little bit, but you, you think they're probably going to try to protect that part of themselves initially, what you do is you show the formation that you that you want to see. Okay, are they going to line up the way that we expect here in the same coverage that we're going to get? We're going to get that formation. We're going we're gonna to get this look. We're going to get this motion. We're going to put this match up here. Are we going to get what we want there? All right, well, if, if so, then I might just box call it and go with what I want. Right. I might, you know, that's a run, run to the line of scrimmage, line up, see, see what's going on. And I might have two plays called and say, look, if we get this matchup, we're going for it. If we don't get this matchup, then hand it off. Right. That's one thing you can do. Uh, Another thing you can do is come in and again, you play with some of your formations, you play with some motions, you do some things just to see how they're going to respond. What did they do in their preparation? That's what you want to see. And then you do your bread and butter off of that. So you hand the ball off, you, you run your power, your counter, your, inside zone you know some of the stuff that they that, that's your base stuff with a couple rpos attached you know if you get your one-on-one out there take it sam then after that first drive when you've got a chance to talk between drives and say okay upstairs what did they do on this all right that oh so they gave us what we thought we'd get oh they didn't okay so they didn't give us that they gave us this all right well what about this okay they gave us what we thought they'd give us there all right next drive we're coming out with this and that's when you start to adjust on the fly and you say here's here's what we think we we were getting the looks that we expected here's how we attack it we're ready to roll uh and that's that's basically the approach from through the through the first part of the game i would expect given how longo has has been all season i would expect in the first drive or two to see at least one little wrinkle in there that that is from something that they saw that 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 Temple gave up earlier in the year where they're going to get a matchup, maybe Newsom, get Newsom on a safety or something on a vertical and try to take that shot first drive or second drive. If they if they feel like they can get that matchup, they're going to go for it right away. That's just been the philosophy all year. But again, they'll have the the thing in their pocket to say, "Oh no, 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 we didn't get the matchup. All right, hand it off." That's that's kind of what I'd expect. And Tommy, I think it's important when we talk about the, the offense versus Temple's defense. Is one headline that they've they've kind of earned all season long is that they're really good in the in the red zone. Uh, as we know, we've talked about that for North Carolina, but Temple's thirtieth in the country in, in red zone 
TD percentage, uh, 53 and a half. Carolina, of course, is 94th in red zone touchdown percentage at 54. Um, and so I, I think for Temple to win this game, they've got to have success there. Uh, of course, North Carolina, we can, we can debate you know, the uh, how much that actually matters in terms of the red zone touchdown percentage at this point in time. Just because Carolina's had so much success outside the red zone, they've been able to score. Uh, but when they get into the red zone, they've really struggled running the ball. I think it's like 2.6 yards per carry in the red zone. Uh, and Mac has said some of that's because you know, they don't want Sam to run quite at this point. I'm curious to see how that plays out in the future. I'm not exactly sold that he's a he's a great runner anyway. But uh, if if Temple can win some of those battles in the red zone, uh, that that may be a way for for them to uh, keep this close and to keep Carolina out of the out of the end zone and give them an opportunity on the on the offensive side to, to do enough damage with their their approach to to try to win this game. And one other thing I want to I want to jump in here too as well. Temple's not exactly been great running the football in the red zone either. They only average two point five eight yards per carry in in the AAC in the red zone themselves. They're not they're not a juggernaut when it comes to running the football when you expect them to. So that's that's also worth noting against Bateman's squad on uh, on the Carolina defensive side. I do want to jump to the defense and how Carolina approaches it, but just looking at Temple stats, in back-to-back weeks, they give up 457 yards passing to SMU. The very next week, they give up 385 rushing to UCF. Uh, When I see that, I'm thinking Carolina could have an awfully big day on the offensive side of the ball. Jason, since you started the defensive discussion there, um, how does Bateman approach it? Uh, I mean. Does he do anything differently than we've seen all year? And you talked about games that he looked at or that the offensive side would look at that Temple played um, and take note of. Anything you see on, on Temple's schedule that maybe Bateman takes note of and see and says maybe we ought to try some of that? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a special let's pull out all the stops, you know, add all the wrinkles – situation for Bateman I think this is very much for Bateman let's see if my young guys that I have can execute the basics of my of my defensive scheme and he's going to have some you know some some of his core blitzes and some things prepped for for what Temple does but this is a game where defensively they didn't play a lot of players this year I mean you had games where they they really only played 13 14 players the entire game uh, beyond a couple plays so they they need to take a look and see what they have with some of these guys. And the other thing is, it's not worth tossing out you know some of your best stuff for more more teams to get 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 a hold of it in terms of uh, film for next year. That uh, your best bet is to you is to see what you can do in terms of your your base your base packages, a couple of your base defensive uh, blitzes and 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 uh, coverage wrinkles that you run basically every week. And just see how well you do with that. But the reality is, they don't throw the ball very well. I mean, Ru- Anthony Russo, their 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 main quarterback on the season, his passer rating is one twenty eight point oh five. So just for perspective, North Carolina's defensive passer rating on the season is one twenty eight point nine three. Right. So North Carolina has actually on the year 
the, the quarterbacks that North Carolina has played have had a better year on the aggregate against North Carolina's defense than Temple's quarterback has had statistically individually. So, you know, there, this is not a, a passing juggernaut of a, of a football team there. So to me, what you're going to do if you're, if you are Bateman is you're going to focus on stop the run first, force them to have to throw downfield. This is kind of the same kind, the, the same approach that you, that you took against Duke. You took against some of these teams that, that really you didn't feel like they could, they could kill you through the air. And you, you try to limit what they're doing in the running game, get them out leveraged and just play base defense and force them to, to maybe throw into throw some interceptions, throw some, turn the ball over a little bit. Cause I mean, he's thrown 11 picks on the year. So that's, that's to me, it's a pretty simple, simple formula. Don't, don't overcomplicate it and see if your young guys can execute it. Greg, is it that simple for Jay Bateman? You think? I do. I want to back up for just a minute, Tommy, because I, I think what you said a few minutes ago before you asked Jason that question is what a lot of Carolina fans are thinking about Temple. And uh, that you look at when they played good offenses, how did that defense do? I think you have to be careful there because if if, if you look at kind of some of the, the ratings, and I talked about the, the FEI, uh, which is kind of an adjusted thing that, that equalized the playing field some. Carolina played one top 40 offense all year, and that was Clemson. And Clemson, I think we can all agree, after that Carolina game, just you know, hit the gas and really exploded. Uh, but Memphis was number seven. Central Florida was number nine. SMU was number 16. So those are three offenses that were far better than anything North Carolina faced all season long. Um, now, they had a lot of success against Temple. And I think you have to kind of be careful in, in trying to say, well, you know, they played okay offenses and the Temple defense struggled a bit. That's not the case. Temple's defense played a lot of really good offenses, and they got exposed some. Uh, and I think kind of you have to appreciate that about North Carolina's defense is that they were kind of middle of the road all season long, and they were middle of the road uh, even though they weren't playing a lot of high-powered offenses. And uh, we can talk about injuries, which which played a role for sure. Uh, but I'm I'm not sold on the fact that this is a, a great North Carolina defense. Um, I think it's kind of a mediocre defense. You got some really good players up front, Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge, that really allowed the second level to have success. Um, I would imagine Chas Rats telling Crawford and Strobridge, thank you, thank you, thank you for his All-ACC honors because they were a big reason why he, he had the success that he had. Um, but I, I do think in terms of, of matchup here, Jason's Jason's right that Temple's offense is – uh, not not good, and they do have somewhat of a, a balanced approach. I mean, the number of attempts passing and, and rushing are about the same on the year. Um, I, I, I do imagine that what Temple will try to do uh, is, is take advantage of, of what some teams have this year against Carolina, and that's use a, a running quarterback to split some things up. You know, passing the ball. You know, Anthony Russo is our primary guy. Uh, he he's been okay. Twenty one touchdowns, eleven interceptions. Uh, but Todd uh, Centillo, I believe that's how you say his last name, they've used him quite a bit. I think he's third on the team in rushing yards. But he's come in as, as the backup quarterback uh, and has run quite a bit. And so I, I suspect they'll use a good blend of those two guys, and that will, ha- that will force North Carolina uh, to, to be honest 
in terms of how they approach things. No, we're not talking about a guy like like Bryce Perkins for sure, uh, or even Quentin Harris at, at Duke, but somebody that can kind of mix things up. And that, that has given UNC problems at times. So I suspect we will see that. The other thing, too, is uh, Jager Gardner, uh, who's been a, a key piece of that rushing attack. I believe he broke an ankle against Cincinnati. And so he will not be playing. So they'll have to rely heavily on uh, Ramon Davis, who's their main guy anyway. But they don't have that one-two punch that, that, that maybe they did for most of the year. So let's uh, get to the point here. Jason, you're going first. Predictions. Carolina in a bowl game that we all agree winning and losing is not a be-all, end-all. And it's definitely not, as you said, one of my must-wins on the season. But how does it shake out in Annapolis? So the main thing here that, that I keep coming back to is the quarterback position. I, I think across the board, in a lot of respects, these two teams are – there's really not a whole lot of separation between these two teams. I think if, it, if, if you switch the quarterbacks, I'd switch my, my prediction. But ultimately, North Carolina's got the better quarterback. And I think when you look at Temple against quality quarterbacks this season – they they had a little bit of trouble against the, the the teams that were able to spread and throw the football down the field like North Carolina has been able to do. I think that's going to continue. They'll probably have a. I think North Carolina is going to have a pretty big day on offense, and I think that that ultimately is the key to the game there. I do think North Carolina's defense is going to give up some give up some points. Some of the young guys are going to play and make mistakes, and and your odds are going to see a Temple that a Temple team that offensively has been a little challenged on the year, but they're going to, they're going to have some plays in this, in this game. I do think North Carolina wins the game. I think Howell is ultimately the main reason why Uh, I'll go with North Carolina winning this game uh, 34 to 27. Another close one. Can the fan base take it? Greg, your thoughts on the outcome? Yeah, I think, I think the matchups work in North Carolina's favor here. Um, I do think Temple uh, it's probably a little bit better than their stats show uh, just because you know, Rod Carey preaches kind of a physical style of play. And I think that for me will be something that fans should watch early is how does North Carolina come into the bowl game? You know, they had issues early in the year, uh, especially against Wake and App, of not coming out and really m- meeting that intensity of what they perceive to be a lesser opponent. And this is going to be the same scenario. Uh, so do they come in and are they fired up and ready to go? Because if not, your Temple can can build off that early and really make this a closer game than maybe it should be. Uh, but how North Carolina deals with that physicality on both sides of the ball, uh, I think will be telling. But I do think North Carolina just has too much firepower, especially offensively, uh, and Temple won't be able to match that when they have the ball in their hands. And, and so spreads four and a half. Uh, I think if you're a betting man, you got to go with the hills here quite heavily. I've got North Carolina winning this one 35-21. I think it's going to be high-scoring ball game. I think the one thing concerns me, and Greg, you brought it up, and I was looking at the stats as we were preparing for this one and talking about it, uh, their backup quarterback is a runner and makes plays with his legs. And that, given what we saw against uh, Wake Forest, against Virginia Tech, that should cause North Carolina fans to have some concern and a little bit of pause. But I think it's a shootout. I think Carolina wins 42-33. And I think Sam Howe has a big day. I said 
right when the bowl announcements were made that it's possible for Carolina to have two 1,000-yard rushers and two 1,000-yard receivers. I think the receivers are a lock. Uh, I think one rusher is a lock. The question is, can Javante Williams get whatever he needs, his 150-ish or so, to break the barrier? I think that is what people will be watching for for North Carolina. Tommy, I don't think you I don't think you gave us your answer to the question about the importance of this game. Is this a must win in your opinion? No, I do not think it's a must win. Do do I think it will help uh the perception of the program? Yes, but I was thinking back to the bowl games in the past. And the ones that I remember either I was in the stands or the Music City Bowl. And the rest of them I can't really remember. You know, we talk about the quick lane bowl. I, I know they lost that one, but I couldn't tell you the score. It wasn't pretty. Um, but do folks even remember the bowl games unless it's a big one? And Carolina hadn't been in a big one. I think that's coming. Not a must who did they, win. Who did they lose to in Shreveport back in 2011? Missouri. How nice, see? And the only reason I remember that one is because I kind of liked Missouri at the time. They had some players, and I've actually – as we uh, prepared for this podcast, I had a Missouri Tiger T-shirt on. Don't ask. I have no idea. <laughs> they sell them for five bucks at the local Safi outlet. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's a must win, but I think it will do nice for the resume, and I think it will be a building block going into the spring for Carolina and Mac Brown. Always a pleasure, my boys. I uh, hope we do them again soon. It will be a while, but we'll get back together, knock some rust off, and we'll talk Carolina football again. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Greg. It's always fun, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.